thesacredjourney.net. I'm a spiritual director, facilitator, and guide, and you're listening to Pilgrim Podcast, a show exploring spirituality and intention in travels and daily life and what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and abroad. Looking for inspiration for the journey? This episode is brought to you by Journey Shop, where I sell handmade and designed resources to inspire your journeys at home and abroad. The Journey Shop is filled with tools for spiritual practice, including my popular liturgical wall calendar, wearable prayer beads, compass cues, reflection cards, and more. Your Journey Shop purchase helps support Pilgrim Podcast and the work of A Sacred Journey. Visit the Journey Shop at asacredjourney.net. Welcome back to Pilgrim Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about entering our places of darkness. Coming up, we've got the winter solstice here in the Northern Hemisphere, and obviously the winter season where there is um, longer nights, and oftentimes churches have services called a longest night service as well that encourage us to enter those places of grief, uncertainty, doubt, even despair, making room. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Today I've got with me Dr. Vanya Steyer Van Essen, who is a depth psychologist based in the Seattle area and who cultivates and facilitates spaces for deep inquiry and soulful living. So you can learn more about her work at soulandimagination.com. But I want to welcome her here today. Thank you so much, Vanya, for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's such an honor. Well, I'm especially excited to introduce people to your work and your expertise because we originally connected over over your work um, you were studying at the time, and I have such an interest in archetypal psychology, depth psychology. I feel like it um, it is true soul work, and so it kind of combines um, right. the psychology world with the spiritual world as well, and I think um, especially in times like this... Um, when we are entering these invitations of darkness that nature brings us can invite us to um, more deeply explore those places within us. And I know depth psychology, archetypal psychology tells us that there are actually gifts there if we pay attention. Absolutely. Yes. Wonderful. Well put. Yeah. <laughs> the, the end. No, no, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. So, um, well, first tell us about your own spiritual journey and maybe how you ended up where you are today? Yeah, great question. Um, So I grew up in rural Brazil and an intentional in an intentional religious Christian community. And there are so many wonderful things about growing up that way, you know, in our community. um, For example, every morning, Um, At 5 a.m., it was somebody's job to walk down the hill and ring this bell, which was really just a metal pipe on a wooden post. And they would hit it with another metal pipe and ring this bell at 5 a.m. And and it was a a bell that would have wake everyone up to get up and and pray and meditate and sing and and walk. And... um, I would often as a child wake up to these sounds, you know, of of people um, playing the guitar and and weeping and laughing and praying. And I loved growing up around the sense of devotion and Mm. of participation and something larger. Yeah. And also it came with 
a message that was quite, um, you know, there was one way to be, Mm -hmm. was one way to be religious. There was one way to be saved. There was one way to be spiritual. Mm -hmm. Um, and in that, in that way, quite prescriptive, you know, and and when I was maybe around 19 or 20, I began to feel a sense of deep unrest. Um, and I found myself one night on a night walk and just realizing that I'd been given all these answers to questions that I had never actually truly asked or known. And on that night, I, I, I said a prayer in which I vowed myself to a life where I would ask the questions Hmm. and that I would try not to have answers to which I had never actually really asked. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hmm. And, um, you know, later I found Rilke's words where he talks about, um, living the questions. He says Mm. the point is to live the question, to live everything. Yeah. And, um, had I known how hard that actually feels to walk through, Mm. but I'm grateful. And, um, so that sent me on a journey of a lot of, um, grief and loss and, and, um, and what we would call an alchemy disillusion, you know, where that mm. moth and the chrysalis becomes that unformed goo, so that mm-hmm. something new can be made. And um, so, yeah, a lot of years of 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 that of that space of wandering and and allowing what comes to come. And mm. so, eventually, it, for some form, did come, you know, mm. and and. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, I read a couple books in the beginning of my 30s, uh, The Care of the Soul by Thomas More mm-hmm. and Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And when I read them, I was just like, what is this? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I um, my heart uh, drank it in yeah. like uh, like I was in a desert, you know, and it was like a cup of water mm-hmm. and um and it was a real feeling of coming home mm. and and a feeling like I can live this way again. Yeah. And so that started my journey into, you know, who are these people and and what are they what are they what's their tradition and and uh yeah, which led me into a lot of study around um archetypal and depth psychology and Jungian psychology. And and yeah, that's the path continues. Oh so. yeah. Well and, and I love that that attitude, that stance, that posture and perspective, the path continues living mm-hmm. the questions. Um, right. Because it makes space to be formed by whatever comes comes your way. That's it's right. True pilgrim stance, I feel like. And really, um, one of the reasons I, I love to do this podcast, I mean, we talk about real pilgrimage destinations at times, but um, was to hope to introduce people to the ways that they can journey with agency and intention in their everyday lives. Right. You know, and part of the gift of, of depth psychology and archetypal psychology and, and what I would call soulful living Mm. is that what we're doing is we're cultivating a way of seeing our lives on a mythic level and Mm. where we're really walking. And, and on one hand we have what's happening in the top side world in the overt world but we also learn to cultivate um, uh, uh, eyes that could see 
that mythic path that we're walking, mm-hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. that what's happening beyond the overt and beyond the literal and beyond um, this side of things. Yeah. So we can just deepen and deepen into our experience and and into our our knowing. Yeah. If that makes sense. So yes, very much so that we can see our mythic path as well as our outside world. Yeah. So how would you define that mythic path? I I think that term in this sense might be new to some people because we just so often think myth means false or something like that. What myth are you talking about here? Oh, great question. Um, Yeah. You know, it's interesting to notice what words in our collective culture have been denigrated. Mm -hmm. I think myth is one of those. And I don't think those are coincidences, Hmm. you know. Um, But yeah, oftentimes we think of myth as things that aren't true. In depth psychology, um, we're talking about the myths that live through us and in us and that we live. So we have the mythologies, like our cultural mythology. So Mm. Greek, for example. Mm -hmm. But we also have the personal myths that we're living out, the stories that guide our life. And James Hillman, the founder of archetypal psychology, wrote that we're always in the embrace of an idea. You know, in some ways we could say we're always we're always living uh, a story and a myth. And um, so, yeah, so myth, we're not talking about this um, untrue thing. We're talking about a metaphoric truth that's mm-hmm. continually running through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. When it sounds like what you're saying is the work of depth psychology, of archetypal psychology is to enter in and to engage that whatever is stirring beneath the surface and guiding us in ways that we might not even know. Right. So, um, yeah, so the myths, what our psyche, the deep psyche telling of itself is how Mm. we would see it. So -hmm. we can look at our collective myths and our personal myths to see, um, you know, what's coming up from the, the, the archetypal soul realm, yeah. you know? So for example, rather than say that I got fired from a uh, job so we can, oh, I got fired and that's really hard. I'm going to fight. We can also cultivate the understanding and see what is coming up for me and mm-hmm. see that I've actually been initiated into an underworld journey, like Persephone, for example, yeah. look at that. And that I'm walking into the underworld on the soul level to retrieve a treasure, hmm. to to receive transformation, mm-hmm. to bring it back to my community, yeah. you know. So that's that mythic part. That's the juicy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 this is the thing that this mythic level is always happening. Hmm. The thing is that we um, are sort of indoctrinated not to see it a lot of the time, yeah. you know, in our modern culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's where it's really interesting to have this conversation about places of darkness, disorientation, doubt, things like that, because that example that you used, getting fired from a job could really plummet you into those places. But if you just stay on that top level, it turns into fear or shame or something like that. Whereas if you have this language, this invitation, um, then you know that something transformative can 
can come of it if you have the space to enter in and engage. Right, right. Yeah, yes, we're always invited to see through Hmm. and into, you Mm -hmm. know, that's that mythic level or the soul level, you know. And so, yeah, it adds, you know, and really it's an invitation to to re-enchant the way we live, Hmm. you know, to realize we live in an animated, living, archetypal, dynamic world in which we participate, Hmm. you know, and it's called that cultivation of that participatory uh, attitude that will allow us to begin to actually participate and see rather than having the more the the dominant paradigm is a more more one of I am the master of my own life mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. and Jung said that, that that's he called that the superstition of modern man to say I'm the master of my own house you know and mm-hmm. and and depth psychology is a psychology that orients itself around the unconscious the unknown yeah um, mm-hmm. The places that are less illuminated for a mm-hmm. variety of reasons, yeah. and 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 realize that it all belongs, and that we enter into meaningful dialogue with that unknown yeah. and with those dark places. Yeah. So tell me a bit about archetypes. What what is an archetype, and how can they be used as guides in um, seasons of darkness? Mm-hmm. Great question. Jung himself described archetypes in so many different ways. Mm. Um, and is he the one but, who kind of coined the term know, or the concept? He coined it for us, yes. But you can look at the history of his ideas in different philosophers and these kinds of, yeah. you know. But he said um, uh, it is only at a time of this incredibly impoverished imagination that the gods and goddesses have had to return as archetypes. Mm. You know, mm. he had this really deep sense of, of, of reverence. And um, so anyways, an archetype, you know, he, his theory changed through his, through his life, but, but ultimately um, he viewed archetypes as those dominant principles, universal uh, forces that shape our experience, um, the ground principles that, that, that really, um, uh, inform how we live and how mm. we experience the world. Mm-hmm. And, and later in his life, because of the idea of synchronicity, yeah. right, that meaningful coincidence where you think you dream about a butterfly and the next day someone gives you a book about butterflies, you mm-hmm. know, these kind of, yeah. And, and that, that the archetype is actually not just in our minds or in our bodies, that they're both psyche and matter. Mm-hmm. And um, that so, in fact, our whole world is, is informed by archetypal currents, mm-hmm. you know, and in archetypal psychology, um, we take it even further and see archetypes as ways of being as perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, you know, we could spend hours talking about archetypes, mm-hmm. but really it's this idea that they're these uh, dynamic currents or energy or ways of being that run through and around us and shape the way we experience the world, the way we see the world, 
and and actually um, inform um, our reality. Our reality is made up of archetypes. Yeah. And would you yeah. say, I know you use the example of like a caterpillar, you know, the metamorphosis turning into a blood, a butterfly. Would that be an archetypal pattern? Yes. Yes. So there's archetypes. Jung said there's archetypes that are personified, like, mm. um, like Persephone, for example. Yeah. Um, and there are archetypes, or for, for Jung, he talked a lot about the wise old man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's archetypes of transformation, like mourning and grief and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, transformation itself. So, yeah. And then in archetypal psychology, really, we're talking about how we see you know, that I can see from a place of different um, styles of being, yeah. you know, so and that and that. Um, and so the, the definition really broadens even more. Yeah. When it, it sounds like too, the invitation is how how you see in in the darkness. Yes, yes. Yeah. Hillman called that Persephone's eyes, the eyes I can mm. see in the dark, you mm. know. And that's one way of seeing and that ultimately there are many ways of seeing and many ways of being Mm -hmm. and that we can uh, enter into this, this attitude of, of, of knowing and participation and, and really, you know, sort of dancing with all of these visitations and things that are happening all around us rather than getting stuck in, you know, for example, this is how I am Mm -hmm. and, and that's not me you know, Mm -hmm. and becoming, uh, and that's not how the world is. And that's not how, and, and becoming stuck in these really rigid mono sort of ways of seeing. Yeah. Well, it sounds like people so often are hesitant to, are averse to engage the unknown because it can be frightening. And yet, and so they stick to those rigid ways. And yet the way you're describing it, when we engage the unknown, the unknown means endless possibilities. That's right. A feast, yeah. a smorgasbord. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. For Jung, the unconscious, what he called the unconscious, was an autonomous, creative, unfathomable matrix. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is where dreams come from. And of course, different traditions call it by different names. Yeah. You know, but that this idea that there is that we participate in something larger. And yes, I think that, you know, yes, leaning into the unknown mm-hmm. and into what you will call the shadow yeah. or, you know, into uh, the, the underworld mm-hmm. as depth psychologists love to talk about the underworld. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The descent, it, it, it can be scary mm-hmm. and it, it does disrupt. Yeah. But ultimately what we're doing is we're inviting um, and ex- surrendering to mm. the sense of, of belonging and participation in something that are, we're already in, yeah. you know, and, and that, um, you know, we adopt this, this posture of everything belongs and, yeah. we'll, and we, and we um, find more and more meaning, yeah. more and more of our experience, mm. you mm. know. So often in modern culture, our experiences are really severed into what's good and bad, what's acceptable mm-hmm. and what isn't. And this is pervasive in almost every area of our lives in the modern collective meta narrative. You know that there's, you know, on one hand, light and dark, mm-hmm. and spirit and matter. 
and growth and decay. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes on and on, right? mm-hmm. ascension and descent, transcendence and eminence. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, masculine, male, female, feminine. Yeah. You can call that the shadow of God, you know, these things mm-hmm. that, that have what well, we've elevated in our collective consciousness but that has cast a shadow on this whole area of our experience and of mm-hmm. really of reality. And part of the project of that psychology is to is to bring in those things that have been marginalized, buried, denigrated, forgotten. Yeah. And that's part of us, you know, and 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 we get in, invited to to this really meaningful participation. Yeah. You know. Well, tell me a bit more about that shadow side or shadow self. How do we engage it and um where could that lead us? And I know too, the way you're describing it, I was hearing the, even that there are shadow selves, shadow sides of society too, right? If we elevate the masculine, for example, then in the shadow is the feminine. That's right. Um, yeah, so we can have shadow. For Jung, shadow was an archetype. Mm-hmm. And it was this experience that... Um, it's all the things personally, it would be the, what we yet don't know we can be or things that we've pushed down on purpose or things we've mm. never known. Yeah. Um, and, and for Jung, the, the psyche is very compensatory. And so if you become too one sided, mm. then the, all the things that you're suppressing mm-hmm. to be that way, create a lot of energy there and 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 sometimes a shadow can come up then in other words all that all that that you're not because of the the way you are Mm -hmm. needs to be um honored too and if it's not it can come up and really catch us off guard you know Mm -hmm. this might see you know when when you see someone that's just always calm and in control never wavers Mm -hmm. never shows emotion and then suddenly they have an enormous breakdown enormous of course there are many reasons that could happen Mm -hmm. but one of the perspectives to use is to say you know something said finally I need attention yeah (laughs) I'm here Mm -hmm. and and I'm and I'm yes it's disruptive but ultimately you will be blessed by knowing this and this can also happen in the collective which I think we can see a lot of right now, mm-hmm. sort of, uh, of of shadow, yeah, coming up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making itself known, for sure. Yeah. So for Jung, the shadow was sort of the doorway into the unconscious. Mm. So in other words, if you want to really engage with the unknown, you have to be willing to know your shadow, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And um, again, you know, I a lot of times we emphasize this idea, particularly around spiritual conversations of, of transcendence and, and ascension and moving mm-hmm. beyond. And something I love about this tradition is this invitation to, to, to find those things by looking right here, mm-hmm. by going deeper into what's right here in front yeah. of us. And into our actual daily lived experience, like little portals into what's really going on, mm-hmm. you know. So for Jung, that's that 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 shadow is that doorway um, into being able to to really be enter into meaningful dialogue with that unknown. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh yeah. Well, and here I I see the entry point into 
the dark night of the soul, which I know is an old yeah. spiritual term. And I've got next to me um, Dark Nights of the Soul by Thomas More, who yeah. I should say Vanya is Thomas More approved because he yeah. was on your, your dissertation panel That's or something right. like that, right? Yeah. yeah, yes, he was on my committee. I was so blessed, yes. Well, yeah, what an amazing opportunity. And it seems like what you're saying is that these dark nights, um, that there might be some hidden doorways, that if we enter in and go on that underworld journey, that we'll come out on the other side um, in places we might not have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. You know, the idea being that you know, if we look again to nature, so we're looking at the winter solstice coming up. Yeah. <clears throat> the idea that we try to live, uh, I, I think nature, if we really want to know the archetypal world, the soul world, the spiritual world, I think nature, we are a part of nature. Yeah. And we can watch nature and learn yeah. what we are. Well, and that feels, you, you were know? saying too, like, dom- we think that we're dominating. But in yeah. fact, to return to nature and realize that we are kin with nature a part just as much a part of it as the bird that flies opens us up to that world yeah and you know uh that's that's our teacher because Mm. nature is living out what it is and and if we're the same thing we can learn what we are Mm -hmm. you know so we look for example at these seasons and you're talking about the winter solstice you know, a lot of times in our dominant paradigm in the West, we live, we're talking about that hierarchy of experience, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. live like we should only be in the summer and the spring. Mm-hmm. Overt life, constant growth, yeah. shininess. And if we're not there, get back there soon. And, you know, I like the image uh, of, of imagining uh, this Herculean heroic ego <laughs> that's trying to always live... And I imagine this Hercules type mythic figure just like gluing leaves back on trees, you know, <laughs> come trying on, to come on. we can do it. <laughs> we can do it. Uh-huh. And this is often what we try to do with our experience, uh-huh. you know, and if we would really know this truth that, that the soul moves in circles, that our yeah. experience is cyclical and then how much more gracefully we could really engage what's happening in our lives, mm-hmm. you know, and again, back to that mythic level. And um, so like the winter solstice, like you mentioned, you're the longest night of the year. Mm-hmm. And in winter, what, what do we see? You know, you're asking about archetypes and things like that. Yeah. We see an invitation to, to see that there is a time for decay, that there is a time for quiet that there is a time for life that is hidden under frozen ground, Hmm. that there is time for stillness and slowness, and there is a time for dark, Hmm. and that they belong. And the fall, we see that there is a time for letting go. And no, we know it's so easy to see in nature and the cycles of the seasons that, you know, there's no way we could only have summer and spring we need all of it Mm -hmm. and it all feeds and I think an important distinction too is that we're not saying that we appreciate the dark because it makes the light brighter Mm -hmm. we're saying that we appreciate these experiences because they're part of us and we we learn to love them for their own sake for what they bring Mm -hmm. in and of themselves not necessarily because they're going to make us stronger or make us better mm-hmm. or make us more summery. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In some ways, that's a subtle way 
of still putting our experiences into hierarchy. Yeah. Because I love the winter because it makes my summer better. Hmm. I'm still choosing one over the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so winter, the winter solstice reminds us of the value of waiting, the value of longing, Mm. things that we generally are hard to experience sometimes, you know, but that we could really learn to love them for their own sake because Mm. they're what we are and, and, and an absolute necessity. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking too of even how much, obviously the seasons, as you're saying, that these rhythms, these archetypes are part of our life, even just waking and sleeping. So often we could think, oh, we just sleep so you can be awake longer. And those overachievers might, you know, try to minimize their (laughs) sleep and drink caffeine or use other substances that can keep them awake. And yet, I know, especially in the sweet sleeping world, not only is that the dream world, right? So those inner images rise up. But I know too, that there's healing that happens in our bodies that makes that necessary. Yes, as well. Yes. Great example. And yeah, to think that nothing's happening in our sleep, you know, is definitely a, uh, a mistake, because so much is happening, you know, Mm -hmm. both like you mentioned, the dreaming life and in the body. Yeah. And that it has its own value. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm wondering, um, I'm sensing maybe two, two types of listeners. Um, One, might be someone who does feel like they're in the midst of a dark night of the soul, a season they've been led into this darkness or it just happened to them, a season of disorientation, doubt, depression, disheartening, or even I was thinking sometimes it's just a season of dullness or numbness. Yeah. Nothing seems to be happening. So for them, I wonder how they can engage this season and mine the riches and and surrender, offer acceptance so that they can see where it might lead. And then the second person might be someone who might not be in that season now, but wants to follow these rhythms of the year, wants to use this invitation of winter and of the longer nights of darkness as mm-hmm. um, as something to enter into. Because I feel like, too, that when we enter that with intention, that when those dark nights of the soul come, we will have in some ways navigated that underworld mm-hmm. already. So I'll let you choose, you know, which you want to address first, <laughs> but um, yeah. I'd love to hear. Yeah. And I also just want to say, you know, we talk about these dark nights and, you know, and I think it's important to say not to trivialize that the intention here is not to trivialize those or to reduce the fact to, Minimize the fact that yeah. they can be so difficult. Yeah, that they're so and real. And that we actually feel lost and we actually feel alone. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to like them, is my yeah. point. It's <laughs> not what we're saying, right? Yeah, but, it's not but time to get to work necessarily because that's the furthest thing that you feel like doing. Yeah. And, and oftentimes when we're in it, you know, all we can do is be there. Yeah. And um you know and then and then later maybe we can make meaning yeah and see that what we were talking about that mythic journey we were on mm-hmm. um i think though that yeah if we understand that we live in these cycles yeah and that there is a deep invitation 
to see into our lives and be invited into meaning and participation, mm-hmm. I do think it offers us sort of a, a vessel or a container to be somewhat held even in yeah. those places. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes that's what the surrender is, isn't it? Surrendering to what is, to being held. Right. To welcoming so, everything belongs, as you say. Everything belongs. Surrender to some kind of trust and whatever mm-hmm. that might mean to, to each person, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so I think, yeah, if you're someone that's in that place, um, I know for me sometimes if I've been in that place and I would hear someone say, there's a gift there, I would probably be uh-huh, uh-huh. very annoyed to put it yeah. lightly. And I think that's okay, you know, because yeah. um, – but yeah, to find some kind of, of way of, of trusting the cycles that we're in. Mm. And we're taught that after death will come more death and mm. after life will come more life. Mm. And this is simply not true. It's not mm. true in nature. It's not true in our experience. Yeah. And I think for me to trust that cycle, mm-hmm. it doesn't really make experiencing it necessarily easier in a sense, yeah. but that we can have that trust that will carry us through that in fact, because of that life-death life cycle that we're always living, yeah. and I don't mean literal death and life necessarily, yeah, all yeah. things that are happening, you know, our job suddenly loses meaning, mm-hmm. our relationship is in trouble, our community that we found uh, belonging in, all of a sudden we don't, you know, yeah. these are the, that life, that, and that when that happens, that, that, after death will come life, will mm. come something new, and after life will come death. Yeah, you know, and if we can really, and and um, you know, I think part of the, the 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 thing there is that you know we've been taught that what's real and true and meaningful is permanent and unchanging, hmm. and then suddenly we're faced with this choice when something loses meaning to decide yeah. if it was had been real and if it had been true. And this is an impossible dilemma, you know, Um, but if we could know that we move in cycles and that's okay, Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, when we're in the darker places, I think that could serve as a really deep medicine as we meditate on that, even if it means, you know, we, we, we don't know actually where we are, where we're going to go, you know, and, and and then as far as, yeah, just the meditation into these places, I think winter is a wonderful invitation. I think the winter solstice, you know, to think, begin to think of each season as an invitation into a reminder that we get to be many ways mm. and that we get to value many ways of being, many experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to meditate in winter, set up your own practice, you mm-hmm. know, a minute a day, a walk a week, whatever it is that where you're going to focus on what it is that winter invites us into, yeah. you know, to celebrate the winter solstice. Yeah. You know, there are many beautiful rituals to do at, at each solstice and equinox, for example. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the role of ritual for mm-hmm. either of these paths, whether you're wanting to intentionally enter into the space or you just find yourself in a season of darkness. You know, I think ritual, um, we suffer from the loss of ritual in the West, um, or at least intentional ritual. Yeah. But I think ritual offers us a way of making a container and a space 
where we honor and mark what's happening and name it. Mm-hmm. And then it and then it does work for us. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it it holds that place and uh, and then, then we walk away and we feel lost again or we feel like disbelieving of that mythic part of our lives. We can look back at that ritual yeah. and say there it is. It's mm. being held and it's real. Mm-hmm. And then also it's like whenever we enact ritual, you know, we're enacting a profound participation in what's happening and all these levels of our experience. Yeah. And, and so in that moment we're invited and sort of submersed into that bowing to what's happening on that level. Yeah. And I think that they're transformational. So there's that in the moment, but there's also that retrospective where they continue to do work for us when we're not mm. doing, doing yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think rich people get a little intimidated and rituals can be really simple. Yeah. Like lighting a candle, right? Lighting a candle mm-hmm. and spending five minutes in quiet. Mm. This can be a wonderful winter ritual to invite us into that space of winter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I love as I hear you talking is, um, and how I feel like this connects with pilgrimage is pilgrimage is really an external movement that mirrors or initiates an internal mm-hmm. one. And it's in, it's a ritual in that sense, I suppose. Sometimes you have this inner stirring and so you feel compelled to have this external journey. And sometimes you long to have that inner stirring. And so you have the external journey that makes the space for that. But I, I since with winter, we have this natural invitation to come inside our homes and the internal journey is for us to come inside our inner home, this mm-hmm. turning inward. And so as you're saying, yeah, the winter, that seasons, that nature, um, that it's all there. Right. And to follow Beautiful. that all the way to the depths, to the under underworld, the depths of the soul. Right. And this beautiful idea that, you know, if we do um, come from this unknown, unconscious, archetypal reality, Mm. you know, when we go in, we're actually finding the whole world in that sense. You Mm. know, this, this idea that what's interior to me is not, is separate from what's outside of me Mm. breaks down, you know, this, that, if you look through the lens of archetypal realities, for example, that they shape that core of, of my experience and also of the world, then you really, you know, there's this real deep invitation to participate in that inner work. You know, you're actually finding a greater mystery as well and Mm. not just your own little encapsulated experience. Yeah. Yeah. And that is definitely a uh, uh, wonderful pilgrimage, <laughs> wonderful mm-hmm. journey. Yeah. Yeah. And a journey of a lifetime. I can, a cycle as well, it seems. Right. Yes. questions are ones I like to ask everyone. And so you just say whatever the first thing is that comes to your mind. Okay. (laughs) If you were going on (laughs) pilgrimage, where would you want to go next? I would go to Greece. Mm. 
Mm. And I would visit the uh, ancient sacred sites and ruins of the goddess traditions of the sacred feminine. Wow. Yes. That's what I would do. Mm. I remember reading um, Sue Monk Kidd's book, Traveling with Pomegranates, years ago, Mm -hmm. and that opened me up to those destinations, those possibilities. Yeah, yes. Mm. It's on my list. Yeah. Next couple of years, I hope Maybe to get there. Maybe you'll need one. Who knows? Yeah, that would be <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> and what about right now? What journey are you on in your daily life? Oh, um, I think a journey of uh, transition. I'm currently uh, about to move. Mm-hmm. And this lot of things have been opened up and I've been really invited into this space of liminality of being in between, yeah. you know, and again, we talk about these places where it's unknown and, and, um, and uncertain and, and, and they're actually really uh, challenging to walk because what, what it feels like in these liminal places is you know, our ground is gone. Our walls are gone. Our mm-hmm. roof is gone. And we, and, and we are unmoored and as we transition into new places. And so as I walk daily life, I've been holding this in-between space and really leaning to the magic of what happens when you're in between mm. and, and the, the discipline and practice of being in that space yeah. um, in a way that keeps me grounded in that, in that magic yeah. rather than the, um, you know, feelings of being um, unmoored or stressed or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. So, so, and the, yeah, that's, that's part of where I, what I've been invited into in this season yeah. to really lean into those, those questions of yeah. what it means to be in a, in a liminal space. Yeah. Well, and that really just shows that anything and everything that we encounter in life can, um, impact our inner journey as well. That's right. You know, and so we started talking about that mythic level. That's mm-hmm. when, you know, yeah, I'm moving, I'm packing, I'm trying to sell a house, trying to buy, you know, these kinds of, and it's stressful and there's a thousand things to do. And we can also honor that on a deeper level, there is also so we're being initiated hmm. into something, something really profound is ending. Something new is beginning. And that, there is so much invitation to deepen into the life of soul into the unknown mm-hmm. in that in those places. So it's like we're walking in two worlds, you know, we're walking in that day topside world, and then we're also walking in this mythic journey yeah. uh, in the underworld, uh, being offered gifts mm-hmm. and invitations. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was something. I don't know if I can find it in. Thomas More's book, but he, he was talking, yeah, he was talking about that. That's that movement's always happening. Yeah. The question is just like dreams, right? That our dreams could be always telling us something. The question is, will we be present to them? Will we see? Yes. Will we pay attention? Mm -hmm. Mm. It's really about attention, right? Mm. Yeah. And will we see and will we pay attention and will we not look away? Sometimes it's hard to know. And it's hard to see things that will disrupt the way we are. And 
Um, but that we like Clarissa Pinkola SD says that we would, that we have to look and we have to not look away. Yeah. And then, and then we live our lives from that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what are some practices or practical tools for paying attention, as you've said, or for those interested in leaning into those unknown places? Yeah. You know, I think one really wonderful and foundational practice is that we continually try to move from an attitude of judgment into Mm. curiosity, Hmm. you know, and that starts with our own experience, right? So if, if, if in a day I'm visited by an anger or a sadness Mm. or, um, you know, an uninvited visitor in that way, that rather than immediately judging what that is, trying to fix it, minimizing, I'm just tired, I'm just hungry, I'm just stressed. Mm-hmm. I'm just, the, all the things we do to silence the voice of the soul coming through to us on a daily basis, mm-hmm. that rather than judging that and, and trying to, again, just throw that into the shadow and mm-hmm. throw that away, that we would have an attitude of being curious. Oh, wow. I did. That's, that's anger. It just showed up, you know, Mm -hmm. of course there's a part of me that's in anger and there's a Uh part of me that can say, okay, this is visiting. Why? What is it? Who, who, what's happening? And and to get really curious about Mm -hmm. our lives, I think is a really wonderful way and really foundational way, primary way Mm. of opening ourselves up to what we don't know. Yeah. We have to be curious and we yeah. have to remember everything belongs. Yeah. I don't have to like it all. It mm-hmm. doesn't all have to ruin my life. You know, maybe it'll just find a little corner of my house where it just sits all the time. It doesn't get to drive the car, you know, but it can belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I think if we can be really curious rather than judgmental with ourselves and each other, of course. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, there's practices like working with our dreams, paying attention to synchronicities, paying attention to symptom, you know, Mm -hmm. disruption, Mm -hmm. uh, and paying attention to, to um, the images and the symbols and the myths that come our way are all wonderful ways of leaning into what we don't yet know consciously. Yeah. When your use of the word primary um, brought to mind this primal sense Mm -hmm. that these emotions that these things come that come up um they're arrows is what you seem to be saying to to our essence to our soul to what is going on deep within right right and if we don't become curious then you know the the invitation's over (laughs) Mm. we've missed a call Mm-hmm. You know, we've missed a call to see something. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, you know, I just tell people, pay attention to the times where you say things like, like I just said, like, I'm just tired. I'm just hungry. Mm-hmm. All that, or when you um, say, that's just not me. I'm never like that. And yet you're doing some, you know, something's disrupting your way of being. Mm-hmm. Or, um, or when you have a conversation and you walk away feeling really bad and and you tell yourself that you're being dramatic and it's all in your head. Yeah. Rather than be curious, like, okay, on the surface, that conversation seemed fine. Mm-hmm. What is this? Mm-hmm. What am I knowing that I don't want to know right now? You know, yeah. what am I not knowing that I need to know right now? And just to be really curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And since we started talking about 
myth and the mythic stories that guide us. What are some some stories if people wanted to lean in either to find companionship in their own dark nights or to um, use as guides as they enter into these spaces? What mm. what are the Sounds- stories that of our our of our lives telling our own stories in a sense mm-hmm. like some myths yeah, yeah. like persephone you know, i know you mentioned yeah i have mentioned persephone a few times i've noticed that in our <laughs> conversation curious so, uh, yeah <laughs> she i mean definitely that myth is a is a is a wonderful invitation yeah you know she's walking along picking some flowers and being innocent in the spring and suddenly the ground opens up beneath her and she's swallowed up into Hades's realm, the realm yeah. of the underworld. And the story unfolds from there. And there's Demeter, the grieving mother. And, um, and isn't that where seasons come from in Greek mythology as well, right? Because Demeter is the agricultural, the goddess of agriculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's how interesting, right? Persephone is very present. And yeah. um, and of course, Demeter, you know, walks the land and, and, and she's grieving and she shrouds herself and, um, and eventually, um, and, and she refuses to allow anything to grow. Mm-hmm. And eventually through a series of, of, of events, uh, Persephone is released, but before she leaves the underworld, she eats some pomegranate seeds. Mm-hmm. And this makes it so that she has to return three months out of every year. Yeah. underworld and she is actually the queen of the underworld now Mm. and so when she returns spring comes and when she goes back it's winter this is the idea um and the idea being that she does return transformed right Mm -hmm. and she's always now a part of the underworld and the topside world and um there are beautiful books and articles and around this story and i think it's a wonderful story for this season yeah Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm looking forward to entering that um, that underworld journey, knowing that there are those. I think that's what that quote by Joseph Campbell. I should memorize it because it's a good one. But knowing that there are others that have gone before you, that you are not yeah. alone on that's this journey. Right. Yes, and otherwise. And one of the really wonderful reminders of that are are the dreams. Yeah. You know, the dreams that come to us at night, if we really pay attention, we can see that there is something that witnesses mm-hmm. and accompanies. Because mm-hmm. these dreams are telling us things usually we don't even know yet. Yeah. And um, they can be a wonderful companion on these these underworld places, mm-hmm. journeys. Yes. So write down your dreams, pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. They have much, much gift. And in fact, you know, dreams, we think sometimes of bringing them out into the world and, and putting them under the bright lights and sort of bringing them into our daytime world. And, yeah. you know, maybe dreams really want us to, their, maybe the relationship is more like the dreams bring us to their world, mm-hmm. into the soul world, into that world where images speak so much and where there's different rules and different Mm. values and that a lot of times being with dreams in this way can train us to have the eyes that see and the Mm. heart that recognizes Mm -hmm. the mythic patterns of our lives because we let them take us into their realm rather Mm. than the other way around. So a really other really wonderful way of cultivating this 
um, this ability to see and to, to recognize different places on a mythic level, soul level, yeah. is to become very close to our dreams, the yeah. dreams that visit us. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know we had a recent conversation about that on the podcast, and I'd love to include any resources um, that you've got on that as well in some, some links. Yeah. And I know you mentioned you've got upcoming courses too. I do, yeah. I have some upcoming courses, so mm. we'll definitely put the links on there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Will you close us with a benediction of sorts? Yes. Um, I will read you this beautiful poem. And I invite you to, if you can, close your eyes. If you're driving, don't do that. If you can. (laughs) Close your eyes and take some deep breaths and really pay attention to the body, pay attention to the heart. And invite the wisdom of winter to make itself known, right? I'm going to read this poem. I am clearing a space here where the trees stand back. I am making a circle so open The moon will fall in love and stroke these grasses with her silver. I am setting stones in the four directions, stones that have called my name from mountaintops and riverbeds, canyons and mesas. Here I will stand with my hands empty, mind gaping under the moon. I know there is another way to live. And when I find it, the angels will cry out in rapture and each cell of my body will be a rose, a star. If something seized my life tonight, if a sudden wind swept through me, changing everything, I would not resist. I am ready for whatever comes. But I think it will be something small, an animal padding out from the shadows, or a word spoken so softly I hear it inside. It is dark out here and cold. The moon is stone. I am alone with my longing. Nothing is happening but the next breath and the next. Thanks for joining with us today. Find episode notes and sign up to receive updates and a free pilgrim guide at asacredjourney.net slash podcast. And subscribe to Pilgrim Podcasts through Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be grateful if you'd leave a review on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. When you leave a review, it helps other seekers just like you find Pilgrim Podcast. To find out how to leave a review, visit sacredjourney.net slash podcast. I'll be back again next month with another conversation on practicing pilgrimage at home and abroad. Until then, blessings on the journey. Blessings on the journey.